Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly and of course during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. Now it always seems to be the case that the W League barely seems to have started before we're talking about the finals and that's the case again this year. In the week ahead we're going to see the final round of the regular season and the rescheduled matches delayed due to COVID played ahead of the finals. Sam Lewis from The Guardian will join us to look ahead to what is still a group of very much live fixtures. We'll also talk to Sam about the Matildas' resumption of international football this uh, week. It was announced that uh, we'll be playing against Germany for the first time in over 12 months with an all-European-based squad taking on the defending Olympic champions as part of their preparations for Tokyo 2020, which commences on July 2021. After a decorated career in England and two Socceroos caps. James Meredith returned for Perth in the COVID season, but was signed as a member of the inaugural MacArthur Bulls squad. Under Ante Milicic, the expansion side are putting together a respectable debut season, sitting fifth on the ladder. We'll get the vibe from James on how the club is performing on its entry to the domestic top flight, and plenty more in A-League to wrap up the hour. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda's action around the world. Of course, anyone, however, who has listened to this show over the last several years, even the shortest length of time, we'll know the guest that we have lined up in the second hour is the voice of Box to Box, Martin Tyler. Now, Martin has joined us for a couple of milestone shows over the years and returns this week as the European World Cup qualifiers resume on the eve of the rescheduled Euros. We'll go through all that with the great man in what is always a conversation the genuine football supporter will enjoy. Just a couple of games in the Premier League, so it's World Cup qualifiers we'll look at as we continue the European discussion with Dino and Derek, and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time reflecting some on some great football mavericks of the game as we look on the passing of Frank Worthington. Elvis, uh, in this passing week, uh, I did watch the football mavericks um, documentaries on uh, Daily Motion is where you find them if you do that search. And, uh, and Frank Worthington was one of the real mavericks of, of that uh, era of the 60s and 70s, wasn't he, Edge? Uh, absolutely. A lot of Leicester fans uh, have him as right up there as their favourite player mm. from that club of all time. But um, I'm just so happy because we finally get the Matildas back on the park, 11th of April, against reigning Olympic champions Germany. Uh, there'll be another game in that window. I know Willems will give us some more details about that, but that makes me smile, Rob. <laughs> yeah, it does because uh, it's a glimpse that, that, that international travel is on the horizon, not not in the short term, but you know, in the in the not too far distant future. All right, Willem, we'll uh, get us uh, get the show on the road, my friend. G'day, guys. In the words of Martin Tyler, it is absolutely fantastic to be back for another week, and some nice. great news to start. That you've stolen my thunder on Michael. The Matildas will play their first <laughs> match in over a year next month when they face Germany in a friendly at Weisbaden on April 11. The match will see Tony Gustafsson finally take charge of the side for the first time, with the new boss expected to call up only foreign-based players. Alongside Gustafsson on the touchline will be. Mel Andrietta, who's been elevated to a full-time assistant position. That'll be 13 months to the day since the Matildas last played. They were, of course, the Olympic qualifiers, which were originally scheduled in Wuhan, which seems crazy to think, Michael. They thought (laughs) they got out of the water by getting those ones away in, uh, where was it, Campbelltown and Bankwest Stadium as well. It's been a long time coming. 
The astute listeners will know that uh, we obviously look after the uh, the Federation's VIPs and families. Uh, we had a whole heap of uh, mums and dads and the Matildas going to Wuhan, believe it or not, and then the virus hit. So who would have thought uh, we've been through what we've been through since that time? But uh, I'm sure um, everybody involved in uh, women's football is so excited about the Matildas getting back on the park and what a better way for Tony Gustafsson to blood himself um, against Germany. Sam Kerr and Ellie Carpenter have both taken huge strides towards the Champions League semi-finals, with Chelsea and Lyon enjoying first First leg victories on Thursday morning. Carpenter played the full match in defence for Leon as they beat PSG 1-0 away from home, while Kerr scored the opener and set up the second in a 2-1 win. She did well to control that, moved it on to Kirby too. She's helped it on one more for Sam Kerr, round the goalkeeper. Oh, she squeezed it in! It's brilliant from Kerr. It looked as though it was an impossible angle. But she managed to find the net and Chelsea have got a big, big goal in the quarter-final. The second legs we played this uh, next Wednesday night, Tuesday morning, Australian time, while Barcelona and Bayern Munich look set for the semis after three nil wins. And if anyone was tuned into Sports Flick, they would have seen that Chelsea were getting battered by Wolfsburg, hit the post in the woodwork they were, multiple they, yeah. times until Sammy took over. Probably the best game for Chelsea, so she's hitting form at the right uh, time of of the season for for the for the London Blues. The Australian Professional Leagues have appointed a further three senior executives, with Ryan Sanderlands, Rob Nolan, and Stacey Knox joining the organisation. Sanderlands will act as the body's first commercial director, growing the capabilities of the APL and the clubs. His resume includes times with the City Football Group, notably. Nolan will lead marketing and data operations as they look to engage fans. His background includes KO Sports and various telcos. And finally, Knox joins the marketing team in preparation of the APL's direct-to-consumer strategy, something being cooked up behind the scenes, having worked with Coca-Cola. Rob, I suppose, similar to the appointments of Ant Hearn and Michael Tange, these are names that, as punters or even people who follow the administration of football, aren't familiar with, Mm. but they have some serious impressive impressive CVs behind them. Yeah, they do. And you look at Sandy Lands coming from the City Group, James Johnson from the City Group. So it's all about networks and relationships and who you can pick the phone up and call and actually get a conversation with. So... You know, that's that's the big issue is really to get a serious conversation with the big hitters in town, the people who write the checks. And uh, and that's the, the sort of news that uh, that from a commercial point of view is equally important as the signing of great players and great coaches. So it's exactly what we needed. And, you know, we've been critics of, uh, of the head office at times where we feel that they've uh, deserved criticism, but uh, they deserve the uh, the bouquets when they come their way. So, so we're seeing uh, some big corporates come on board, Maccas and Bunnings in recent times. I think the arrival of these three names... Uh, it augurs well for football in this country. Melbourne Victory boss Grant Brebner has insisted he won't resign despite the side suffering their seventh loss in eight matches on Wednesday. Brebner was quizzed on his future by Fox Sports post the Wellington drubbing, while Robbie Slater earlier in the day suggested the Victory board have spoken with Tony Popovich. Guys, we had our Victory Blowtorch uh, episode a couple of weeks ago. I, along with many others, have been more critical of the board than Brebner and the team. But I think if you separate church and state at the minute, I think it's probably time... The Brebner goes. I think there's been little signs of improve, uh, very few signs of improvement. Um, he's said that they're going to get injured players back, but injuries are a fact of life at Melbourne Victory. I don't think there's much more to gain at the moment by him continuing. Board meeting next week, and I understand uh, that board meeting, uh, Trent Jacobs and uh, Drew Sherman's uh, roles um, will come under uh, a fair bit of scrutiny. Um, and uh, I'm expecting there'll be probably wholesale change at Melbourne Victory between now and the end of the season. Whether Brebner lasts to the end of the season or not, uh, who knows. Um, 
he's really struggling. The whole club is struggling, and uh, I, I'm expecting wholesale change. I think the only thing that's saving you is the fact that there's no promotion and relegation in this country. Um, if mm. uh, there was, he'd be sure. long gone. To the W League, Brisbane Roar have been dealt a double blow on the eve of the finals with Claire Polkinghorn and Emily Gilnick to leave for Sweden after Sunday's final regular season match. The pair have signed for a top flight side Vizio with the Roar receiving a fee for Gilnick. The Swedish registration window closes on March 31, hence why they need to go now. But from a Matilda's point of view, Michael, this should benefit the national side with both to now be available for the Europe or the foreign-based squad to face Germany. Yeah, look, it's. I think it's a, uh, for the Matildas. It's a fantastic uh, opportunity for for these uh, two women to get some, uh, obviously, some international experience uh, before the Olympic Games, but also some some good quality football in the lead up to the Olympic Games. Most of our squad will be Europe based. Um, having said that, if you're a Brisbane Roar fan, you'll be pretty upset because uh, I think your chances of winning the title are gone out the door. And a final one for now, FIFA have handed down additional bans of six years and eight months to Sepp Blatter and Jerome Volk, having been found guilty of various violations by the Code of Ethics. 85-year-old Blatter's ban will commence when his current one expires in October this year, while 60-year-old Valks will start from October 2025. They've also been slapped with £780,000 fines. And Sepp still hasn't done a thing wrong if you speak to him. So, yeah, just um, I guess it's the it's the end of of times that uh, we hope uh, don't return in football in this country. You know, a lot of these guys have probably done some good things, but uh, uh, they are uh, the the sum of their sins is greater than the uh, the parts of the good things that they did. Uh, if I can sort of mangle a few phrases together to, to make a very point. generous there, Rob. Mm, yeah. Dead set ordinary. All right, well done. Well done. Uh, Sam Lewis is next from The Guardian. Uh, Sam just loves women's football in this country. There's no more passionate supporter or uh, or journalist on the subject, and she's also an absolute authority. We're going to wrap up the W League season as it comes to a crescendo in the coming week ahead of the finals. We're going to talk some Matildas as well with Sam Lewis. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now, we said off the top of the show that the W League season barely feels like it's begun, but uh, it's about to be over. The uh, the final round and the catch-up matches are scheduled for the next week, but there's a great set of matches with any number of uh, results that could uh, displace teams from the top four, that the Premier's plate could be the final match that uh, is decided uh, next week between Sydney and Melbourne victory. To talk about it, our good friend from The Guardian, Sam Lewis. How are you, Sam? I'm very well. I am slightly nervous about mm. the various permutations of the upcoming round, but it's been an absolutely breathless season, and so I guess it's only fitting that we have an absolutely breathless run into the finals. Yeah, and and look, even for for those who uh, who who are thinking there won't be much football on afterwards, obviously uh, we'll have a little chat about the Matildas and uh, the Olympics uh, coming up, which it looks like they're going to go ahead. So uh, uh, so there will be plenty of, of football to to watch. But can you just set it up for us uh, for those uh, listeners who who aren't haven't paid as much attention as uh, as other 
others uh, to the W League season. Uh, so we've got a top four, but we've got the final round and we've got some catch-up matches. So that Adelaide, sitting in third, could be displaced by Canberra and Melbourne. And then the final match of the season, which I mentioned off the top, Melbourne v Sydney, which was washed out on the weekend, could be the match for the Premier's plate. Yes, indeed. So Adelaide United are the only club in the top five who have actually completed all of their games. So their destiny is effectively out of their hands now. Um, But there is just four points that is separating those top five teams. So we've got Sydney in first place currently on 24 points and they have played 10 of their matches after the washout last round. Brisbane Roar are just behind them on 22 with 11 matches played. Adelaide are in third. Canberra are just behind them on 21 points with one more match to play. So Melbourne Victory can mathematically snatch the Premiership from Sydney FC from fifth position, which is, I think, a lovely sort of Stephen Bradbury moment that we'll all enjoy. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, for those Melbourne Victory W League fans uh, going around, they've actually been just winning. They haven't, they've not won ugly a few times, but they are unbeaten in seven matches. And they do have... Um, Quite a robust defence at the moment, and you'd expect them to beat Perth. So it's the weather gods have played, have done us a favour, Sam, because we uh, we might uh, we might just be uh, having a Premier's Plate playoff uh, between Sydney and Melbourne uh, in that uh, in that game on Wednesday night. Now, wouldn't that be uh, a great crescendo to the season? It would be fantastic, and you know, two traditional rivals as well, a big blue to close out the season, um, and with really possibly all that they can play for in in the Premiership plate. Because if Sydney don't get three points against Canberra this upcoming round, then all is going to hinge on a win against Melbourne Victory. So it's it's pretty, I think, pretty, uh, pretty well assured that Victory will get three points against Perth because they, uh, because of all the various challenges that Perth have had to go through with border closures and late squad announcements and coach arrivals and things, they haven't hit their straps at all. And the W League season is so short that by the time they do start to gel and find some chemistry, it's already over. So I think three points are pretty much guaranteed for victory in that respect. So really it's down to Sydney FC who haven't played in a couple of weeks because they also had a bye to be able to get uh, at least three points from their final two games to win the plate. Now, we've been loving your work uh, in The Guardian and uh, and some stuff in the ABC as well uh, about the W League, but I, I want to talk about Sydney FC because it appears they have hit the wobbles and a player that is very underrated, uh, I think, around the W League, Ellie Brush, went down with a knee injury. Since she went down, it seems to me that they have... Leaked a few goals, um, and you know, will Ante Urich and the Brains Trust at uh, Sydney FC will they be a little bit concerned with their f- with the form they're taking into these last few games? Yeah, it is a little bit worrying, isn't it? It does feel like the wheels are starting to fall off this Sydney side. Uh, losing Ellie Brush was the latest in a, a sort of a string of injuries that they've had, particularly defensively. Uh, before the season started, Liz Ralston went down with a pretty serious injury that has kept her out. So the last couple of games, Sydney actually haven't been playing with their two first choice centre backs. Uh, They've had had to sort of bring in some fullbacks to deputise and make some emergency signings only in the last week to to fill in for those gaps. 
Um, so, uh, but even in saying that, I mean, I think that Sydney FC have so much quality going forward that it almost papers over the defensive cracks. Um, we saw what that would look like against Perth Glory in that game where Brush uh, was injured, where Sydney put six past Perth, even though they did concede twice. So it might just be a case of having to out, simply outscore the other sides um, in their race to the finals and p potentially even to a championship as well. Brisbane Raw fans will be probably disappointed that Emily Gilnick and Claire Polkinghorn are leaving the club after this uh, final match to take up uh, um, opportunities in Sweden, which is probably great for Matildas and Olympic Games uh, form, but for the Brisbane Raw heading into a final series without uh, Emily, who scored 12 goals today, and Claire, who we all know how how solid she's been at the back, um, they'll be disappointed, Brisbane Raw fans, won't they? Yeah, I think they will be. Um, but it's important, I think, to to understand why it's happened. Um, the the women's transfer windows fell in such a way with the W League this season that the only opportunities that these women had to go overseas was during the season because the W League was pushed back by a month um, due to all the border restrictions and coronavirus. So as a result of that, this window is the only opportunity that some of these players have to secure a contract overseas. And if they aren't able to do that, then for one, they're not able to really be in the shop window for Tony Gustafsson and the Matildas. And number two, they potentially aren't able to secure a more long-term contract for their own footballing careers at club level. So even though Brisbane are definitely going to be disappointed in losing their captain and their highest goal scorer, um, I think they're actually probably encouraging their players to take these opportunities because they want what's best for them as individual players and as individual people. And in saying that, I mean, one of the great things about Brisbane Raw this season has been how multidimensional they've been in attack. Just because you've lost an Emily Gilnick doesn't mean that you no longer have a Tamika Yallop or a Marielle Hecker or a Letitia McKenna. You know, you've got so many fantastic attacking weapons there that I don't think they're really going to suffer that much in the final couple of games. And Canberra United, uh, they've got it all to play for. Uh, they need to beat the top of the table Sydney to set up that uh, dynamic finish that uh, we've been discussing. Uh, Vicky Linton's uh, uh, had them uh, playing reasonably consistently but uh, um, they do have the advantage of playing this one at home so you know you'd like to think um, that on a good day with Michelle Heyman uh, breaking records uh, uh, up front that uh, that they got to be favourites for this match. I would, I would agree with you there. Um, again, Sydney haven't played in a while. We've talked about the injuries to their centre-backs. Michelle Heyman is in spectacular form, possibly even the, the best form that she's been in for several years because she's now playing injury-free. She's playing in an environment that really believes in her and encourages her. She's playing under a coach that adores her and with players who she's played with before. So this Canberra side, I think, uh, are really on the up and they're going to be looking at this Sydney side and probably not cowering away. You know, they're, not, they're not going to, to look at the number of goals that Sydney have scored and feel like they need to change their own style or their own approach to football in order to counteract that. I think they're going to stick to their own principles. They're going to use the weapons that they have at their disposal. And I think if they do that, particularly with a, a home crowd, and Canberra home crowds are quite different from any other kinds of home crowds. They adore Canberra United down there. 
Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting match and I'm really excited to go down there and be there for it. Prediction time. We want to have a bit of a chat about the Matildas in a moment, but uh, but what, what, what are you uh, predicting we'll see in the next week uh, before the, the finals commence, Sam? Well, Sydney FC are the only guaranteed finals team uh, so far. They've already got too many points not to, not to make the top four. So they, they'll take one of the spots. Um, I think Brisbane Raw uh, are probably guaranteed a final spot as well. Their final game is against Newcastle, who haven't been particularly impressive this season either. So Sydney and Brisbane are probably the top two. And then I would, I would have to say probably Melbourne victory. I think they're going to leap into the top four from fifth. I think they'll get those three points against Perth and possibly get a point against Sydney. Uh, but oh gosh, when it comes to Adelaide and Canberra, you know, I don't know if Canberra can get a single point from Sydney FC, they'll overtake Adelaide United possibly on goal difference. And so it might be Adelaide that has to fall out as a result of that. So yeah, it's going to come down to the wire and I, I don't want to, I don't want to lean either way because I feel like I might jinx it. Well, I actually think that uh, Sydney and Melbourne victory will finish one and two and uh, we might see them in a final. Wouldn't that be great? Because Melbourne victory has three incredibly gifted young Victorians, Melina Ayres, Melinda Barbieri and Kyra Cooney-Cross. And, of course, Sydney FC have the gifted uh, New South Wales girls in Princess Sabini, Remy Seamsman, Courtney Vine and throwing Rachel Lowe as well. So it is a big grudge match between New South Wales and Victoria, this W League, isn't it? It is a bit of a state of origin between these two clubs, you're right. Um, and what I really love about it, as you mentioned, is that we have all of these uh, local players who are also very young players. You know, all the players that you listed are under the age of 23. And that's been, I think, one of the, the most uh, wonderful sort of storylines to come out of this season, as disrupted and as um, sort of uh, tense and anxious as, it, as it's all been. We have actually seen this generation of players emerging uh, to hopefully step into the shoes of future Matilda sides. Um, and that's, you know, that, that is, I think, the role that the W League should be playing. It should be um, acting as a, a sort of a platform for uh, these players emerging through the local MPL ranks, giving them that opportunity to shine, giving them that springboard to move overseas, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks with someone like Dylan Holmes, who came through the uh, the MPL in South Australia and has now moved across to Sweden. So the W League plays a really important role in, in all that sort of stuff. And I don't think, you know, calling it a development league, for example, is necessarily a bad thing because of that. No, 100% agree. Now let's, let's uh, switch attention quickly to the Matildas. Uh, fantastic to see them. Uh, back playing Germany on the 11th of April and I do hear there'll be another game added in that window as well but uh, we get to see Tony Gustafsson in his uh, role as uh, leading the the Matildas for the first time um, I'm terribly excited about that appointment the only uh, information I have out of my uh, sources in Europe is it's all good he's such a fantastic uh, character and uh, there is great expectation around the impact he'll have and the Matildas are going to have a very short and, uh, and robust preparation for Olympic Games. Sam, Against the reigning Olympic champions in this first sure. form of Germany. Talk about trial by fire, huh? Um, yeah, it's going to be a really fascinating clash, especially because it's been over a year since the Matildas were last together during the Olympic qualifiers. Uh, so it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the way that Tony Gustafsson uh, deals with the 
the sort of the the pressure cooker environment of that, knowing that he needs to be able to get to know these players, understand how they work on the pitch, find a system that suits who he has available to him, which is not the uh, the full amount of players that he possibly will for the Olympics or for future tournaments as well, because uh, as part of the announcement, it was mentioned towards the end that Australia-based players won't be eligible for selection. So all of the uh, Australians who are going to be in consideration for this Germany friendly and possibly a second friendly in the window are all players who are already overseas. And that poses a really interesting challenge, I think, for Tony and for Mel Andrietta, who was uh, promoted to the full-time assistant coaching role under him, where they have to actually look abroad and look at players that possibly they haven't really considered seriously before. So we do have a number of uncapped Australian players who are playing in a number of European leagues, uh, playing regularly, playing really good minutes. They're getting some really competitive minutes under their belt. And in a very similar way to the W League, this could be an opportunity for those players to be given that chance uh, and actually prove themselves on that sort of a stage. And so, yeah, I'd be, I'm fascinated to see uh, who they look to, particularly in the goalkeeping department, because we know that uh, Mackenzie Arnold is, uh, is injured at the moment over playing uh, in the Women's Super League in England with West Ham. So, yeah, I mean, all these kinds of questions, I think, are are really good and really exciting to be asking. And I'm just looking forward to seeing all the all the women back out on the pitch together, because I know that they are desperate to to just be around each other and be back in that environment after so long away. Well, Sam, it's all good news for women's football in this country. The W League uh, coming to a, a thrilling conclusion. We're looking forward to the uh, the Olympics with uh, uh, with Tony Gustafsson uh, in his first outing as coach. So, uh, uh, yeah, the road to 2023 is is looking solid. Sam, thanks again for joining us on the show. We really love having a, a yarn to you, and uh, uh, you enjoy the next uh, few weeks as uh, as we will too. No problem. Thank you so much, and to everyone listening. Please tune into the W League, whether you, every viewer, every watch, every click really counts. And especially on Sunday the 11th, because that is going to be the day that both the Matildas play Germany and we have the W League Grand Final. It's going to be a huge day. It's going to be so exciting. And we all really, really want you to to be part of it. Well said, Sam. And uh, we endorse every word you've uh, uttered there. All right, Sam Lewis, uh, wonderful talking. We're going to talk uh, A-League next. We're going to talk to James Meredith. He uh, had a great career in Europe. He came back to the glory, but now he's at the MacArthur Bulls. And they're doing some pretty good things under Ante Milicic. James Meredith next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now we talked uh, W League before the break. We're on to the A League now, and uh, we're going to talk to a fellow who we talked to it before the season even started. Uh, uh, James Meredith. He had a fantastic career over there in uh, England. He came back and had uh, a season last season with uh, Perth Glory, and now he signed up with Macarthur FC. How are you, James? I'm good, thank you. Hey James, I just want to play you a little bit of audio because we spoke to you before round one, and uh, and we were reflecting on that conversation uh, in the last couple of days as we were preparing for the show, and you made a, a couple of comments about uh, about what you're expecting for the season ahead. So just just have a listen to this. I've never been a part of something like this. Obviously, all the, the clubs I played for in England, you know, you're talking sort of hundred plus year old clubs. 
you know, tradition and they're very, they're established and they've, they've been around forever. They've had, you know, literally a century to build a fan base. So, um, it's all, it's all very new, but I, I got to say, I think they're doing a really good job. You know, the people, the background staff, Anthony, they look after the players so well. Um, and they, they seem to have everything in place, but obviously I think that building the, building the fan base and getting everything right, um, facility wise will be more of a, a slow burn. So James, uh, reflecting on, on those comments. So, you know, we're obviously talking about York city, uh, Bradford city, Millwall, um, you played for a few other clubs as well, but, uh, but they're the big ones. Um, and, uh, and now you've, uh, you've, you've, um, played, uh, enough of this season to have got a taste of, uh, of the way this club is uh, emerging uh, as a genuine contender in the A-League. So reflecting on those thoughts and, and the, the experience, experience since uh, you know how do you look at it now the team's doing well we're in a we're in a decent position we're in a better position a few weeks back when we were sitting at um, second but you know I think every every team can have a little blip with it with a couple of games uh, getting beat but all in all as a football club and in terms of the how happy the players are and how well everyone's training and on top of things we are as a team including the, you know the players and the staff I, I think we're in a in a pretty good position and you had a season with Perth before you you came to MacArthur FC. So, um, given your, your long history of hundreds of games in in the UK, you know this is a, a senior squad with lots of uh, of uh, experience in it, but also uh, a, a nice scattering of talented youth who are coming through and and their their careers are just beginning. I mean, how would you equate this for, to to some of the time you spent at, at at the clubs that you played with in the UK? It's still a very different experience. It's it's very different being such a new club and everything being so new in terms of everything from the stadium, the staff, all the players. I've never experienced something like this, but it's 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 good and it's a fantastic opportunity. And I, I feel like we're sort of solidifying the, the type of team we are. And it's, it is great having those good experienced players like Federici, you've got Milligan, uh, Jovanovic, Ivan Franic who's a great player, Matt Derbyshire up front, Bernat, centre mid, Sieta, you know, all very good, experienced players. But then you've got that mix of sort of young, talented, exciting players like Lockie Rose, Michael Roos, you know, and Donny, players like that that can come in and do a job. I, I still feel like they've got a long way to go, but, you know, this is, this is you, you see them having the opportunity to apply their trade. You got a good come-from-behind win to beat Western United. And what was your first home game in five weeks? How's the rolling draw and the, you know, obviously the COVID draw, as we call it, with borders being uh, impacting on when teams can play home and away? How, how are you coping with, the, um, you know, with the, the large amount of away games and then a, a cluster of home games? How's that impacting um, preparation for matches? But changing the fixtures so often can be unsettling, I think. But and it can also um, make preparation slightly more difficult. But you've just got to be professional about it and just be just take it game by game. Um, you know, these are crazy times with COVID and everything. So you've just got to you've just got to adapt. If you don't adapt, you're not gonna you're not gonna survive. Um, the other night, the the comeback was was like a you know a game you'll you won't see very often because I don't know if you if you could tell on television it was absolutely bucketing yeah, down. yeah we could tell it was <laughs> teeming yeah. it was I've never seen I don't think I've seen that much rain in England before you know <laughs> in all those years in in the, all around England that was that was the, that was really torrential um, so it was, it was really good of the lads to get the win that game. 
Uh, my next question comes from uh, I've got a, a a chat group and a and a, and a fortnightly Zoom with uh, four very experienced strength and conditioning uh, people from all around the world. Some of them work in football, some of them work in Olympic Games. It's a, a bit of a, um, a business activity that, that I'm involved in, and um, one of them had actually um, seen uh, one of your training sessions, uh, a match day minus one session where. I think you guys did a double session on a on a day before a game, uh, and the guys, the strength and conditioning guys, were saying that they they've hardly seen that. So, um, have you been doing double sessions before match days? Not a match day minus one. Our match day minus ones is very light training. It's usually more tactical, and they really save your legs. The only um, time in which that match day minus one has been a heavy session was in pre-season when it was an okay, organized load yeah, okay. yeah by Anthony Crea and by uh, the boss aren't they yeah. um, but but that was all organized you know we we didn't do a double or a heavy session the day before a game how are you finding the training um, when you compare back to England um, I mean Australian A-league clubs uh, I, I have had some comments from international players that come here and say that sometimes they feel like uh, they're training harder here than they have in Europe. Um, is, is that your reflection in, in any way? Training here is, I can tell you from playing, um, being at clubs from Premier League to Conference North, so, you know, over six leagues, the training here is definitely harder than in England, all over England. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? What do, you put, do you put that down to culture or, or having to prepare for a warmer climate with harder surfaces, uh, or is it just something that happens here? Probably more educated scientific approach here as to as to England when it comes to that sort of fitness. The, the England the English culture is is quite different on that front. Uh, but they only two games a week, so a lot of the time in England it's more about recovering, preparing your body, getting ready for the next game. You know, trying to like shake off any like knee injuries. Um, whereas here you you probably play you know a game every sort of seven days or ten days. So you've got to get that extra, those extra um, kilometres in in the week, and and you know they, they really work at that. The technology is very good in terms of the GPS systems and how they analyse the data. You've got a tricky uh, encounter uh, this weekend um, in Wollongong against uh, Wellington Phoenix. Um, they did a job on Melbourne Victory, but then again, who isn't uh, these days? But but they they um, are, are facing a, you know a second really challenging season in this COVID environment, uh, uh, trying to create a uh, a hub for themselves down there in Wollongong. So there certainly won't be any underestimating them there. And uh, and just where you're sitting, you mentioned earlier in our chat that you were second on the ladder just a few weeks ago and in fifth. You know, with Sydney starting to come at you with a game in hand. Brisbane Raw still a good side. You know, Wellington on 15 points. Um, th- this is a very important game. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and Wellington are, are, are a good side. I've, I've always admired how they're, they're strong, they're organised, they've got good players that are willing to put in the work. So I think, it, I think it'll be a challenge. I don't think it'll be an easy game at all, especially after that win. So I, I'm, I think it'll be a, a good, good game. Yeah, and uh, and as far as uh, the the balance of the season goes, we're we're around, uh, well, just over uh, halfway mark. The uh, expectations, obviously, within the group are to make finals in in the first season, starting to to make some real connections to that Campbelltown community. Who, even though they've got the West Tigers in the NRL, that represents that team represents a far broader geographic reach. And uh, and from what we see on uh, television, the the crowd, it's it's not 
huge, but but it's passionate, and uh, and they're getting right behind your club. So uh, so well done on being part of this debut club in its inaugural season, mate. And uh, we'll continue to watch and uh, hopefully make the finals and uh, and do some damage at the sharp end of the season. Yeah, brilliant. James Meredith from the MacArthur Bulls. All right, stick around. We're going to continue on with the A League discussion after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal Yes, of this all. is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. We are talking A-League now, and uh, we will talk it shortly. But before we do, we're going to talk about Chemist Warehouse, because this is the time to stock up on some of the things you need in your bathroom. Half price off the Colgate Optic White range of toothpaste. $3.99 oral B Vital Vitality Power Toothbrush range just $19.99 each. Save $30 off recommended retail. Half price off the Colgate Smile for good range and Sensodyne Toothpaste Rapid Relief for repair and protect 100 grams just $8.99 each. You can't go past these prices. If you want to lose some weight, there's OptiSlim VLCD Platinum Shakes assorted variants for $29.99 each. They taste good and they'll help you lose weight. You've also got the VLCD Bar 5-pack assorted variant it's $14.99 each, half price, the entire flat blaster range as well. At Chemist Pre- Warehouse, at Chemist Warehouse, of course, where the great savings are every single day, aren't they, Michael? They certainly are. Get a bit of that fat blaster stuff into you, Willem. Willem, fair I mean, I need it. the he protein powder, reverse. which I do buy from Chemist mm. Warehouse. I need yeah. a bit of the fat blaster. I've been doing yeah, all right yeah. recently. Uh, you're looking good. Just improving. We're going to talk a little bit of A-League, Willem. We're going to uh, lead us off with. Well, the first headline on my A-League newspaper this week, Rob, is City Team to Beat. They've brushed aside ladder-leading Mariners. That was their fifth straight league win. They're sitting fourth, but they do have two games in hand, and if, theoretically, they were to win their, those two games and everyone else won the games, uh, they would be on top. Michael, a lot has been spoken about the front three of McLaren, Noon and Naboot. You've only got to look at Andrew Naboot to see the difference between the strength and conditioning setups at Bundura and at Melbourne Victory. Naboot well and truly back to his Newcastle Jets days, which saw him uh, play a pretty pivotal role for the Socceroos in Russia under Bert van Marwijk. But there's another player who flies under the radar, and that is Florin Berengay. Now, he's back in magnificent touch. He has long periods where he's ineffective, but we saw last year in the grand final, uh, or as they push towards the grand final, why they keep him around, and I think he's back in touch at the minute. He certainly is. Melbourne City, for me, are just building a season nicely, aren't they? And Central Coast, uh, yeah, they looked um, outclassed, didn't they, in in most of that game. And uh, Andrew Naboot, I mean, uh, Melbourne Victory discarded him because they thought he was a dud. He's how, had two how careers. How wrong were they? He's had, he's had split careers in the boot. He's had his periods bookended at victory, and now he's had his Newcastle face, yeah. his Socceroos face, yeah. and now he's back to those days with mm. Melbourne City. So, yeah, he's looking fit. He's, he's an Adonis at his best. and he's, he's He's got electric pace and a good shot, hasn't he, Dino? He's a good player. Yeah, yeah the other player I like is uh, Connor Metcalf, a uh, local boy, and uh, he's done uh, quite well in the in the few games that I've watched them and uh, I think he's got really bright future moving forward. No, he's done a magnificent job and I think he might just be first cho- first choice for Graham Arnold 
and the Oliroos in Tokyo. The second headline is Wellington surging from deep. Now, this was uh, pointed to by James Meredith in the previous chat. They've won their last two in Wollongong, having gone winless from their last four. And we spoke to Ufuk Tala. He said they needed to make it a winning stadium. Well, they've done that now with a couple of emphatic victories against Victory uh, and Perth Glory before that. Uh, they've taken points in the last five, Michael, and they're up to eighth uh, off the back of one key player. Firstly, I think Toma Hemed. Now, I asked Ufuk he, about Toma. He'd had a bit of a, an indifferent start, uh, and Ufuk said, just keep your powder dry, Willem. He's, had a, he's come in late. He's had a couple of injuries, but he will be good to go. And he scored in his last three. He could have scored another one in that Western Sydney game. He's looking strong and imposing. And they've brought back Stephen Taylor. That was the one big issue for them. They hadn't replaced him. Uh, why don't you just replace him with the man himself? Ahead of uh, Stephen Taylor played against uh, Melbourne Victory for Wellington, they probably would not have lost that game. Uh, because they would have had a the uh, first central clash defender. against Melbourne Victory. That's right. Yep. Uh, having said that, uh, De Villas, uh, the Mexican Marvel, he is having some season. He's really uh, enjoying his work and the workload that he's been given. He really does lead that line very, very well. And uh, for me, Wellington, they're going to come home. Um, they're going to come home with a wet sail. I think. I, I really like the way Talley goes about his business. Yeah, we do, do too. Being his of, of course you do. Would you agree with that, Dino, that um, De Villa is obviously a magnificent player, but the issue's been when he's... I mean, it's all had to go through him, but now they've got Tom Ahmed firing as well. Yeah, look, it makes a big difference when you've got... You know, you're not relying on one person all the time. And I think the other thing that really I was quite impressed with was there's a kit change as well. Just like trying to take in the, the, the reason why they're playing at that stadium... Yep. And uh, I thought it was quite a really good touch. Yeah, I thought it was good too, Dano. That's a good point. They've had the two best kits in the A-League this season, Dano, the Wollongong Wolves one <laughs> and the away kit, the Aqua Teal number, which is beautiful to watch. Not just not just a good kit. In You're the in love shoot. with Wellington Phoenix, aren't yeah, you? I'm you've in love you've with Wellington almost Phoenix. ditched the victory for them. Well, it's not hard to do at the minute. <laughs> the, next, the next headline here might interest you, Rob. Duke, key to Western Sydney Wanderers front mix. Carl Robinson's ambitious front six rotation. I think it's finally found its anchor in Mitch Duke. Obviously, there's mm. a lot of talented players there, but before Duke got there, there was at times a little bit of confusion about who was actually playing what role, who was playing there. I think just locking him in on the left side there then gives a beanie structure to go through the middle. You've got Troisi in behind them. Simon Cox has been the unlucky one. He's been missing out. But I've been highly critical of the Wanderers, but I think Duke is making all the difference and it's rubbing off on the rest of them. Yeah, well, speaking of replacing a departed player with that departed player, that's exactly what the Wanderers did, didn't they? And yes. uh, <laughs> so uh, Carl Robinson uh, is finding his mojo there in Western Sydney. And, and if that's one... I mean, there's a lot of clubs that need to find it, but that's one club that really needs to light up at the Bankwest Stadium. We need that red and back block in there, all their glory... Victory, of course, is another club. But, um, but yeah, if we can get it going on the field, then the, the fans will come back. And the final headline, Jets out of fuel. Jeez, who's writing these, Michael? These are clever. Uh, <laughs> the last month has been a huge reality check for, for Craig Deans in Newcastle. Their first four, they couldn't get a win, but they were playing really well. Their next five, they got some results. It's all come sort of crashing down for them a little bit. Where to next? Do they need to roll a few new players through there? They don't actually have that many that they could well, roll through. Well, they've got a couple that. out of quarantine that are just coming. 
uh, into fitness that'll uh, probably get injected over the next week or two. But yeah, look, it just, I mean, they had such a turbulent and disrupted uh, pre-season that was going to catch up with them at some point. So uh, Newcastle Jets, we know how important that uh, region is to football in Australia, the deep history it has there. Uh, The Jets, they just need a, a good owner and they could be anything. Huge match to kick us off this weekend, Melbourne City against Western Sydney Wanderers. There's also been a postponement. Brisbane and Western United won't go ahead up in Dolphin Stadium. Dean, I want to throw to you to finish. Uh, Grant Brebner right under the pump uh, at Melbourne Victory. They might be in the market for a new manager and you can reliably inform us that they've missed out on one who was on the market until a little while ago. Yeah, well, look, uh, Gary Bowie, a good friend of the show uh, for Box to Box, uh, uh, obviously lost his job like you do you do in England, uh, but went back to Derby, was appointed the under-23 manager, and then all of a sudden in the week, uh, Salford City, which was that uh, that's what the you know uh, where the Beckhams and uh, all of the Man United, uh, that famous group that put this team together, sat their uh, manager in the week, uh, Richie Wellens and. Uh, and the former Blackburn Rovers at Blackpool. And, uh, and I think even Gary managed the first team at Derby at one stage. Um, that He's come in for the rest of the season, but apparently will return to Derby County at the end of the season. So good okay. luck to uh, Gary Bowyer. That's great. Good news for, for Gary Bowyer. A good mate of yours and a good friend of the program, as you say. All right, boys, well done. That's A-League for the time being. We're going to uh, get ready for a busy next hour. We're going to talk to Martin Tyler about uh, European World Cup qualifiers and the Euros. Uh, looking forward to that. There's lots more in Europe and, uh, and our chat about that. Football Mavericks. Stick around. That's all after the news on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. A big, big first hour, but really can't wait. Um, to talk to Martin Tyler. It's a real privilege as a football fan to uh, to talk to the voice of football. Well, as far as we're concerned around the world, uh, he's the uh, man who is synonymous with all the great moments uh, that we recall. Uh, well, most of the great moments at the very least uh, in our time. We're going to talk to Martin real soon about the the road to the World Cup for England and, and the Euros as well, more broadly. We'll talk more on Europe with Dino and Dell, and uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, a discussion around the Mavericks of football in stoppage time. But, Willem, you've got plenty more news for us. I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Both our senior national sides are facing packed international schedules over the next couple of years, and with both having had their next matches confirmed in recent days, you'll want to be up to date with how you can support them. Head to ggatravel.com.au and get yourself on the Green and Gold Army mailing list. This week, before we get to the individual plays, we've got a bit of news on the upcoming Olympics. The draws for the Tokyo football competitions are set to be held in Zurich on April the 21st. 10 of the 12 women's sides have already been locked in with Cameroon to face Chile and China to face North Korea over two legs next month for the final two spots and to the men's 14 of 16 sides have qualified with the final two teams to come from CONCACAF's qualifying tournament which is on at the minute Michael. Mexico, USA, Honduras and Canada appear in the box seat to go through to the last two uh, but you've got some news on one of those matches. Well Mexico defeated the United States by one goal to nil 
So um, that is a, a big result, and it actually probably means that uh, the USA has a tougher road to qualification, remembering that the, the t- only two teams from CONCACAF uh, go through. So uh, the top two teams from those groups will play off in semifinals. So that means that the USA is going to play the top team from uh, Group B in a semifinal. To the Matildas, Caitlin Ford was this week involved in a crucial goal for Arsenal as they beat Man United 2-0. The Gunners remain fourth, but this was a huge win as they look to overhaul the Red Devils in third with five to play. Lydia Williams kept a clean sheet in goal. At the other end of the table, Ella Mastrantonio assigned, uh, assisted a critical goal for Bristol to earn a point against Tottenham as they look to avoid relegation. Uh, a couple of players who may make the fringes of this European or foreign-based Matildas squad, Alexander Huynh played a full match as relegation threatened Napoli, secured a big three points against Florentia. And Amy Harrison, again, a feature for PSV in their one-all win with Den- uh, against Den Haag. PSV remained top by two points. To the gents, Danny Vukovic has departed Genk six months before his deal was due to expire and has returned home to be with his pregnant wife. Vukovic was left in no doubt as to how he's regarded by his club's fans, with around 40 or so greeting him with a loving banner and presentation as he left for the airport. An extraordinary three years at Genk for Vuka Michael. 122 games, he won the league and the cup. He qualified them for the Champions League and would have played if he hadn't have injured his Achilles. That's probably the one big, well, not a regret, you can't regret injuries, but the one sort of thing that could have been a little bit better. And he became a full soccerroo in the period. If I was Melbourne Victory, I'd be giving him a bell. Yeah, I'd be, um, <laughs> I'd be giving, the, giving him a more than one phone call. Um, yeah, look, fantastic uh, uh, little uh, career that he's had in Belgium. Well done, Danny. Uh, but who can forget his son? His little son. Another who, huge part of it, yep. Yeah, was, uh, became a, a household name in the, uh, amongst the Genk fans in Belgium. Uh, after every game, uh, Danny would walk him down to the, the fans and uh, they would uh, cheer together. So some great memories for, for the Vukovic family. Uh, we all know what Danny's son's been through. So um, who knows where he's going to turn up? When do you think he'll turn up? I'm hoping Melbourne victory. He was at the victory a couple of seasons ago. That was when Harley was particularly ill, I think. So he was playing in Melbourne, but he was up in Sydney and he didn't do particularly well. I wouldn't mind a second stint from him. Yeah, I think so. It'll be interesting to go. But uh, one of um, Australia's more popular uh, footballers is Danny Vukovic. So uh, we'll be welcoming him home to Australia soon. A few other players to round out on. Albemarle notched three assists in Denmark for Michelin in a 5-0 rout. They finished second in the league and now face the finals campaign and their finals campaign is uh, quite important in Denmark as it is here in Australia. Harry Sutar enjoyed another clean sheet with Stoke in the championship and Mitch Langerak's Nagoya have enjoyed six straight wins to start the J-League campaign. He's conceded one goal. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's going well. He's definitely uh, in the frame, you would think, to... Uh, to get uh, a Socceroos recall at we some point. We haven't talked to Scotty McIntyre for a while. We should talk to Scotty about uh, Mitch and how well he's going, or John Grimond, who is uh, Mitch's manager. Two World Cup qualifiers, the Netherlands have suffered a first-up loss in their quest to return to the world stage, having gone down 4-2 at the hands of Turkey. Frank de Boer's side were with the without Virgil van Dijk and Stefan de Vrij, as 35-year-old Turkish skipper Burak Yilmaz helped himself to a hat-trick, his first goals in 10 matches for his country. They could do with getting themselves a two-goal cushion. Burak Yilmaz, oh, brilliant, brilliant goal! Brilliant hat-trick! It's 4-2! What a day for Burak Yilmaz, 35 years old! He curls home an outstanding free kick! 
Serbia, Portugal and Belgium also secured first up wins. As a quasi-Dutch supporter, mm. this is just immensely frustrating. They can't settle on a new coach despite the fact that they've got this supposed new golden generation coming through of Matthias de Ligt, de Jong, uh, Donny van der Beek as well. They've had five managers since Louis van Gaal left at the end of the 2014 World Cup. We saw what Frank did with uh, Crystal Palace. Things are not looking overly rosy uh, for the Dutch. Yeah, it's tough times, isn't it? I mean, as we go to where we're only halfway through this week's European qualifiers, and when we talk to Martin, we, you know, we won't uh, have the the second day of, of matches. But uh, there was enough happened in the first week that look, we all know what Turkey can do. What they made the semi-finals in Seoul uh, all those years ago, and uh, and could easily have gone through to the final and won the whole thing. Uh, Turkey has got an incredible football pedigree, so you know, you, there's just no easy matches in Europe, is there? No, there's no easy matches, and uh, obviously the Turkish skipper, 35 years of age. What about Zlatan, 39? years of age returning to international football with Sweden there was an incredibly emotional press conference where he talked about the importance of that and being on the same wavelength with his with his coach about and he, and he, and he said he's just not making up the numbers it's not a PR exercise uh, interestingly that he's been to the World Cup twice hasn't scored a goal and, and he said he can't possibly finish without any World Cup goals. So what did that he say when he, when he announced he was that he's going to go? Well, he was talking about how he said I'll beat because uh, there's, that's something I will beat because I can't have a zero. Looking too far ahead is dangerous. I must think more about what happens in the next day. But I feel the well, way I do great, today, I'll be there. Wasn't there a great Zlatan line? Um, yeah, what, what was it? Well, he was speaking about how leaving his kids to go and be a part of the world or the, the Swedish squad is quite hard. And he was crying. And he says, you know, I have human emotion. I, I am human, even though I am Superman. <laughs> Yeah, so he just it. can't, even in his quieter moments, Looking he just can't let it go, old Zlatan. Sorry. Looking forward to seeing what impact the 39-year-old yeah. Zlatan will yeah, have. Yeah, well, he's a superstar of, uh, of the game, isn't he? He's like yeah. Ronaldo and Messi, and you know the, the World Cup will not be diminished by his presence, that's for sure. And a final one from me, Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich is suing publishing house Harper Collins over a recent book that claims he purchased the club under the instruction of Vladimir Putin. Ian Catherine Belton's book, Putin's People, a former aide to Putin, expresses the president saw an opportunity to raise the nation's profile and influence through acquiring the club. Abramovich's law firm have stated the book makes a number of false and defamatory claims and falsely alleges the client has behaved corruptly. OK, after the break, stick around because uh, you're always in for a treat when you hear Martin Tyler. We're going to talk European World Cup qualifiers. We're going to talk Euros with Martin Tyler, the voice of football on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now we've been doing this podcast for about seven years, and synonymous with our show has been uh, the voice of football internationally, Martin Tyler. As uh, you hear the opener to the show, and uh, as we play out to the breaks and come back, and uh, that uh, gentleman has been very generous with his time over time, and he joins us again. Uh, how are you, Martin? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Very well. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, uh, the World Cup qualifiers resuming uh, over in Europe. Uh, It's tomorrow morning, our time, or later this evening, your time. So as we speak, we've watched the first day of matches and and seen some absolute crackers. Wales held on against Belgium for a while there, and uh, uh, the Ukraine did uh, particularly well against against, uh, France. But uh, it's uh, it's England that we we wanted to talk to you about. Um, Famous moments against San Marino over the years. But uh, uh, not expected to, to give England too much trouble. But how, how do you see the path uh, forward in in what is a relatively easy qualifying group where England should just get through? I think the odd thing about it, and there are many odd things about football life at the moment, aren't there? And we all know why, um, is that the European Championships coming sort of 
quite early in the year and with most of the other World Cup qualifiers for England are happening uh, later in the year. So as well as trying to play for points tonight, players are trying to play for places in a squad in a different tournament. And that kind of muddies the waters a little bit. Also, there have been uh, issues with the club managers, particularly Jose Mourinho, wanting the workload for what is three games in a week, effectively, uh, to be shared and not, uh, in other words, what he means is don't run Harry Kane into the ground. Uh, so um, that that kind of makes it an, a unique way of, of going into a start of a, a World Cup campaign. Uh, England's games are uh, increasingly difficult, I guess you would say, through the week. Albania away, Poland at home. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what team Gareth puts out tonight, which is his 50th game in charge of England. It's quite a, a landmark in any manager or career to get a 50 these days. Um, so we wish him well for that, but he couldn't have had an easier one, really. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's like someone's going to bowl him a full toss to hit to the boundary to reach 50. <laughs> Martin, give Stevenson a little bit of an appraisal of England's squad. I, I praise it has quite plot-sided in many ways. It's packed with attacking talent, which is the subject of many a talkback radio phone in, but the um, middle of the field and certainly at the centre-backs is quite weak. You know, how do you appraise this England squad right now in terms of both the Euros and the, the World Cup next year? I think it's a good point. The general consensus is England will score goals. Will they be able to keep clean sheets? The goalkeeping issue probably isn't nailed down because Jordan Pickford, who can be very, very good, and has been the number one for a while now. Uh, he's injured. Nick Pope's doing well for his club, Burnley. He's probably the senior goalkeeper in the squad, though. He's only got four caps, Well, he is the senior goalkeeper in the squad. Uh, Dean Henderson at Manchester United is getting some games now because of David De Gea's uh, paternity leave, particularly. Uh, and Sam Johnston, who's a young goalkeeper, came from Manchester United originally, is finally finding himself one of the busier goalkeepers in the Premier League with uh, West Bromwich Albion. He's in the squad as well. He's not been capped. Uh, and in front of them, you've got John Stones having a bit of a renaissance uh, and plenty of competition, really. Michael Keane, who's done very well for Everton, has been left out of the squad. Um, there are inexperienced centre-backs like Connor Cody and uh, Tyrone Mings, really, are getting a lot of Premier League experience, but not a lot of international experience. And one sort of supposes that um, Harry Maguire, obviously, will be in the team. Kyle Walker will probably be in the team. He's gone back to the kind of three centre-back um, approach, back three, that he had uh, when England got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. And actually with pretty similar personnel as well. So maybe a bit of regression, maybe just having had a look at others. But there will be opportunities, I think, for everybody in this squad to get some minutes in these three games. And they've got to be grasped because you might not get more than 20, 25 minutes as a substitute in a game. And it might be against San Marino. So you've got to really show in training and around the place that you've got to catch Gareth's eye. It's, it's all pretty level, I think, um, and that's the difficulty for any manager when you haven't got sort of standout players. Uh, some countries uh, have got a team where you know that'll be their team come the big games. England aren't quite in that position yet. Do you think England are in danger of being a little bit too defensive-minded, In certainly in the big games? You mentioned the three at the back, which served them quite well in Russia, but then when they came up against Belgium and and the and Croatia, that kind of lack of invention in midfield seemed to be 
a problem? Do you think that uh, England is there to win tournaments like Euro 21 and, and the uh, World Cup in Qatar should be trying to find a place for another attacker, uh, maybe at the expense of someone like Declan Rice or Jordan Henderson? Yeah, well, Jordan Henderson's not in this squad. He's one of Liverpool's high-profile casualties at the moment. Um, who's very highly thought of as uh, the manager's man on the field, really. And Declan Rice is an outstanding young player who actually is more creative than possibly he's labelled. Um, but that, that is also the debate over here. Um, should there be one or two? Um, after the World Cup, the, the back three was um, you know, discarded. So, in a way, he's had a look at other ways of playing. Um I think England's problem is that there are too many options, too many um, players being put forward by good Premier League performances uh, and where we will be after these three games in terms of um, changing the manager's mind uh, because there are players in the squad who've got an opportunity to. Uh, certainly Ollie Watkins from Aston Villa, for example, who's, who's done outstandingly well in, the, in a forward role in his first season in the Premier League. He might get, well, he will get his first cap, I'm sure, in one of these three games, maybe maybe a couple of caps. And he'll have an opportunity also in the time they've spent together at the training ground to show what he can do too. So I think it's always been the way with England. Um, whoever's in, there's always a campaign to push somebody else into the team and push that person that they've been campaigning before out. So it's about sorting it out, really. And I, I, Gareth is a man of much more detail than perhaps his public image comes over. He's a really nice guy, a very articulate guy. He gets the PR side of the job. Um, but he's also very much uh, data-driven and he knows... Um, I'm sure he's 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 doing all the all the statistical background, which is very important now, particularly in an issue where, you know, the Poland who England play next week, um, click of Leeds United's gone down with COVID. We're not free of this yet, so um, there are other factors that are going to come into play. So planning is difficult, and I guess probably we could have a better conversation wearing the Nara um, next week when when the three games have been played. Yeah, particularly after that that Poland game is the one. This is box to box. We're talking to Martin Tyler about England's campaign, uh, which is resuming for the World Cup uh, in Qatar next year. Uh, players that that were were dropped from the squad uh, ostensibly, uh, Martin. T- Gareth Southgate doesn't, from our end, seem to get a lot of of. Um, of a, of much of a difficult time from from the press with his selections, but when when he didn't tre- select uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, there, there was a, you know a rare PR misstep for him in his response by by um, res- responding to a question and saying that that get, that he'd uh, Alexander Arnold just started to return to form, and the, the questions were you know if he's returning to form, then why would you drop him? Uh, um, is that uh, uh, in your eyes a, a fair assessment? And um, you know is Alexander Arnold the sort of guy that you know similar to say, Jesse Lingard, Jesse Lingard. Uh, you need, um, as David Moyes has done, to, 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 to curate this young Tyro's talent and um, and bring out the best in him rather than drop him and uh, um, you know miss, potentially miss out on the best of him. He's got to fight for his place like everybody else. I mean, you're really just echoing what I said in the last answer about as soon as somebody's out, they're pushed forward again and when they're in, they're criticised and they're out again. I mean, Rich James is a, a fine young right wing back who's playing for a team that's having more success at the moment than Liverpool are. So, you know, he's he's got himself up the ladder and his performances have, have been good for England. He's um, just seen in Gareth's eyes as maybe a bit more reliably defensively. Kieran Trippi is still in the squad, despite the fact that he had this ban. 
Um, so, you know, the competition is there and it's up to Trent to push hard. I mean, with Jesse Lingard, whose return is one of the, the sort of features of, uh, I suppose, uh, it's a pretty quick recovery from being in the wilderness to suddenly finding the, the Holy Grail again. Um, but Gareth said to him, look, you're only in because other players are injured. So, you know, you've got a chance, but this, this is, you might not have been in if, if one or two others have been fit. So, um, it, it is about grasping the moment. We do live very much in the here and now. Uh, and that kind of, I don't know, that's will always revert to that team come the big day, which used to be, I think, the way not just England, but most football teams work. They, they, they knew really what their, their best, if not the best 11, the best 12 or 13. And there was little combinations, little tweaks. Um, it's not really like that with England. So I suppose it's, it's a, a bigger uh, pond to fish in and we'll see who gets caught and who, who Gareth p puts in his net and takes off to the, the tournament and as I say we're coming back to the tournament when we're really talking World Cup and what's going to happen um, over this longer period with these qualifying games in a, in a group which England should you, you know you've got to win it so uh, there's not much margin for error, but England are you know, very, very good qualifiers uh, down the years. Their record's been uh, almost perfect, really. So um, there's never much fear in the country about qualifying. It's what happens when they get there. And um, you did make a, a kind of criticism about uh, when England played in 20, 2018. Um, the country was uh, on the edge of its seat. And, you know, the, the television audiences were getting a 25, 30 million because England had got to a semi-final of the World Cup. And, you know, that, that's a very rare event. Uh, so, you know, that, that it's just because England are ranked fourth in the world, it doesn't mean to say that they're automatically seen as a team that will reach the, the last four in any tournament. Uh, you, you know that, the record in the finals is patchy. Um, not always the player's fault in the circumstances. Um, Mr. Senor Maradona had his own way of winning a game um, back in 1986, and and we've had other misfortunes as well. But but England, uh, it, it is the tournament stuff. This this is kind of the phony war getting ready to to qualify us. I'm sure England will. Martin, just to uh, change tack for a moment, I'm interested in your reflections on one of the other semi-finalists from 2018, Russia, Belgium, who uh, were knocked out in a close run thing with France, the eventual winner. They've been sitting atop the FIFA rankings for the past two years. Is this generation of Belgian players, can they actually win something? Can they actually um, go to the Euros or the FIFA World Cup and pull it off? Uh, what's your assessment of, of how they're travelling? Well, they should, shouldn't they? I think the Euros is, I mean, I know Roberto very well and uh, he, he's determined to, um, I think he's thrilled to be able to work with such a talented group of players, but he knows the weight of expectation that comes with it. Um, and they ha have had their, you know, their potential to, um, they, they really were in a good place, I think, to win the World Cup in, in 2018. Of course, they got a bit of revenge over Wales, who ruined their last Euros in the game just a few hours ago. So I, I, they play lovely football. They're managed very strategically. They are uh, admired. We're obviously much closer to them than, geographically than, than you are, and um, there's full of admiration. There's not too much negative that's said about Belgium, except why can't they win? And, you know, we're talking about whether England could win something without quite the tools that Belgium have got. So, you know, they should. They, they should. But 
um, tournament football is always full of uh, um, elements. Just little things can go for you or go against you on the day. It's not like winning a league over over 40 games, 35, 36 games. It's it's like um, it's like a, a cup competition, and the, and the best teams don't always win the cups. Um, they are deservedly the best team, and being top of the rankings is a nice thing but it doesn't give you any trophies. So, you know, good luck to them, because if England can't win it, there'll be a lot of people in this country who'd be happy for Belgium to win it. Martin, just coming back to the current game against San Marino for England. Reflections on 1993. Uh, I was a 10-year-old watching that game, and England needed to win 3-0 for any chance of qualifying for USA 94. And, of course, they did win, but it was a bit of a shocking start to the game. Good lesson in commentary preparation, to be honest with you. I found where San Marino were training the day before. It was some dirt track of a stadium, uh, amateur players. And I saw Davide Gualtieri close up the day before. And England saw him close up after 8.3 seconds <laughs> of the game. And uh, I suppose when I look back, I actually, you, you, you've referred to 93. It's probably something I should talk about a bit more often for young commentators because it, it was a lesson in preparation because that was never going to happen. It couldn't possibly happen. It remains the only goal that San Marino ever scored against England. Only six games, but even so, they, I don't think they've come close in any of the other ones. So, um, yeah, it was. It was. I think it was pretty much done and dusted. That game was played in Bologna, and um, it finished seven-one. But the one is what we're talking about now. Ian Wright scored four. We don't really mention that very often. I think he's the last thing the player to score four in a game, actually. So that might get a mention tonight. So um, that's that's um, yeah. There is a little bit of history, but you know, I, I, a lot of people criticise these fixtures, but I don't because you have to offer the hope. And San Marino are now at the moment the world's worst recognised football nation, 210 out of 210. But you know, the passion for I've been there, I've been to the games that England have played actually in San Marino. And they, they really care, and they, they're close to Italy, so they, 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 their, their seriousness is, reflects an Italian culture, really. So, you know, good luck to them. I hope they don't get humiliated. Um, but the people on that pitch, as we started our conversation, saying, this is my chance if I do something spectacular tonight. Uh, I remember Malcolm McDonald scored five, all five, England won five, uh, five nil against Cyprus in mid-1970s. And, and he was always remembered for that. I mean, to get five in the international, whoever it's against, is an extraordinary achievement. But to make it five out of five, uh, that doesn't happen hardly ever. So, you know, that's a long time ago and it's still remembered. So there might be people looking for memories at the expense of little San Marino tonight. Martin, thank you again for your time. The journey to the World Cup uh, resumes for England. Uh, it will end uh, in Qatar. How will it end? We uh, are going to start to find out uh, against San Marino and uh, as uh, as the qualifying campaign continues, uh, we'll uh, be uh, listening to your work as, as the months roll by and uh, and we'll enjoy every moment of it, mate. Thank you very much again for, for joining us on box to box My pleasure. Anytime. Martin Tyler. Uh, stick around. We're going to talk more Europe on the show after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal Yes, of all. this is not. But 
Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. What a great chat with Martin. Always love talking to him. It's uh, a little bit surreal having enjoyed so much of his commentary to have him on our show, but uh, it uh, it's a wonderful chat nonetheless. Uh, Derek and Dean, they are here with Michael and myself. We are going to talk more Europe. Um, so, Derek, it was sort of a mixed sort of last week or so, wasn't it? There were a few catch-up matches played in the Premier League and uh, obviously uh, we, we led into the, the World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, it's been a bit of a smorgasbord of entertainment for us football fans in Europe. And Dino, I thought we'd start with the FA Cup, just in deference to yeah. that trophy. There was some classic ties, I think. I think the standout one was Leicester City 3-1 win over Manchester United. Had a great result for them. What do you think about Man United's approach to this game? They they dropped Fernandez and put Donny van der Beek in the team. I mean, did they take this seriously? Yeah, look at I'm not sure. I mean, I know they've got to rotate, and you know, and, it, and they're not Robinson Crusoe. All the teams are rotating and bringing people in and dropping people out. But yeah, look, it was. Um, I mean, it was a fabulous result for uh, for Leicester, and I think I think a lot of Man United fans, definitely on you know on the airways, were quite uh, quite unimpressed with the, the team selection. But again, you know, they're playing every three days, so. They most probably know the players better than we do. Well, it could be another season without a trophy for Manchester United. And Edge, we were even looking at news during the week that United have signed a new uh, kit deal, but it won't be uh, for as much as last time. So do you think this is just an attrition of the value of the club and their performance? Uh, Interesting question, Derek. It's probably more of a reflection that... uh, uh, Chevrolet probably played over the odds last time significantly for that... uh, that uh, global partnership. So um, the sports rights uh, broadcast holder out of uh, Germany has taken up the the mantle um, and uh, Manchester United receiving £17 million less a season than what they did uh, with the US car manufacturer. It's quite a quite a dent in the bottom line, but look, it's still a good deal. I think you know I they think still command yeah, the highest price right. amongst the top teams. And back to Leicester, who want to get there, Dino. I thought Tielemans, he just looks like an absolutely astonishing footballer now. But I want to pick out Janetchi and Anacho. Nine in nine, he's kind of while Vardy's dried up, at Janetchi's really got amongst the goals. He looks impressive, doesn't he? And I think that's the reason why they're still at the pointy end. You know, um, as you say, Nacho's just been un- unplayable. And, and Tillemans, well, for me, I th- I've always thought this season, I thought Tillemans is always like the heartbeat of the team. And um, even in international duty, like uh, overnight, when they played Wales, he was he was very focused and very much on the ball with De Bruyne. So, yeah, look, they're, they're great players. And that's uh, the right uh, now at the moment at the pointy end basically in the cup, but also in the league. We'll get to that Wales game in a minute, don't you worry, Dino. Um, Chelsea moved into the semi-finals too with a a hard-fought win, let's say, over Sheffield United, who arrested their recent slump and put a bit of pride. And Southampton brushed aside their South Coast rivals, Bournemouth, with two goals from uh, Redmond. The other game saw uh, Everton hang on for a long time against City, but City have just got the players and the tools to unlock and it was all Everton could really do really Dean no look I, look, I think Everton have come a long long way uh, and and I think there's, there's a bright future you know uh, for Everton moving well into like even this season but certainly for next season and beyond but Man City at the moment are almost unplayable and as you say they hung in 
I think until about the 80th minute, and then it was bang bang and game over and semi final to um, Manchester City. Yeah, well, do you think the game against Chelsea, which is one of the semi finals, is that possibly the biggest threat to their quadruple? It could be, yeah. I mean, especially now Chelsea's a two call. Um, I mean, what is it, two goals they've conceded and not been beaten? So. I mean, he's doing a fabulous job as well. I mean, that's that, that's that's as good as as anybody's coming in and, at Chelsea and from the position they were because they were in free fall. So um, yeah, I think it could be. And the other game, of course, Leicester will play Southampton, and you'd fancy the Foxes to get into the um, semi into the final there. Although Southampton, you know, on their day can be still one of the most dangerous teams uh, outside of the kind of big clubs in the Premier League. Moving on to the Premier League, well, uh, the big game really was Brighton versus Newcastle United. It was a compre- you know comprehensive win for Brighton, who go four points clear. Um, we say every week, Dean, that we're worried for uh, Newcastle. They're too clear of Fulham with a game in hand, but this was a, an abject display from them. Oh, look, it was poor. I mean, look, some of the, some of the finishing was excellent. Um, and I watched the game and, yeah, but Newcastle realistically only had a couple of half chances, maybe. Um, but their marking at the back, oh, unbelievably poor, especially for the third goal. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, de- decent delivery, but you know, you've got to be able to defend better than that. And I, I am worried for Newcastle because, as we all know, they're a massive, massive club, especially when you know they're not the place packed at uh, St James's. And um, and for me, uh, I, I definitely think uh, Brucey will be uh, under the cosh at the moment. Oh, look, I think it's a long tail of underinvestment in that club. Yeah. Uh, and to a degree, I'm sympathetic to Steve. Bruce, he's not a stellar manager, but I think he could have done a half-decent job with the right backing, but I just don't think yeah. Mike Ashley is prepared to back that club like a proper owner should. Um, the other entertaining game was, of course, the Arsenal-West Ham United game. West Ham, of course, um, showing that 3-0 is one of the most dangerous scorelines, and uh, <laughs> it's the thir- third time that's happened this season. Arsenal were a total disgrace in the first half, but uh, do you think they showed a bit of guts and character coming back into the game there? Well, courtesy of West Ham yeah, giving you two goals, by the way, Derek. Don't forget to mention that. <laughs> well, I've been saying all season that I love Suchek and he's come up trumps for us again with that fine own goal and another own goal too. Um, but look, um, Antonio nearly made it 4-2. That could have been a turning point. He, it was easier to score than miss and uh, look, Arsenal will just take that point and, and, and we'll, we'll just stay in that purgatory. But what do you think, Dino? Anything from Arsenal in that game? Oh, look, um, I thought it was a fabulous game and I, I thought the comeback was good. I thought it was uh, it was really good. And uh, and, and, and it, it's quite surprising because West Ham has been in an unbelievable form. Um, so but I thought it was an absolute classic game. And 3-3, I think it was... A, I mean, there was most probably... It could have been a 5-5. There was so much going on. Um, but also just on that, I just wasn't throwing the Tottenham win because they'd had a horrific uh, period in the Europa, and then they've gone to Villa and uh, and picked up points, and then all of a sudden find themselves sick. Derek, so, can I know, just sorry, Derek, can I just jump in for a moment and just uh, just for your benefit, Derek and Robs, um, I just like to make the obvious is that uh, Arsenal are only four points behind Liverpool, and um, and I think Rob was a bit. Was it, did you de- de- detect a, a moment of acid in the way that he described Arsenal's <laughs> comeback against West Ham, Derek? 
I did feel like it was a little bit salty. Um, and, uh, you know, Arsenal now just creeping towards um, salvation from relegation, of course. And we all know Rob was really gunning for that particular statistic earlier it just, in the I, season, It was only so. because, uh, from a journalistic point of view, I thought it was a great story. Purely from a journalistic yes. point of view, absolutely. And, um, and being yeah. crowded by you guys, um, you know, look, at least that I know that I've got some support in uh, in some guys who uh, who don't go for the low-hanging fruit. Um, God help you in, if uh, Arsenal uh, get on top of Liverpool, uh, man. Yeah, well, it won't happen. <laughs> Well, yes, that, that was a win for Tottenham, as you said. I'm still not sure about them, Dino, and I'm not sure about the future under Jose Mourinho. No, uh, me Ful- Fulham lost to the Leeds. They're still a great side to watch. I think Fulham are down now. They're losing too many games now to realistically mount a challenge. Um, look, next week, Dean, we'll definitely do more of a roundup of all these um, European games, but let's just pick out a few that have happened before we went to air. Uh, Edge would want me to point out the Gibraltar result. They lost 3-0. Uh, Devastating home. home loss. Yeah, we crashed uh, crashed 3-0 to Norway. Yeah, in Marbella. But one of the few teams that uh, Erling Brat Haaland hasn't scored against this season... Is Gibraltar. Is Gibraltar. So I think... The Rock. Gibraltar must be doing something right there. And uh, But let's talk about your team. Uh, what You know, they did a good start, Wales, didn't they, Dean? But then this Belgium team, they just got class. Goal, yeah. That goal was absolute class. Uh, the the, the link-up play, the passing, it was just... I, I, we were out of our seat. But again, you know, like poor defending. And, and that's really what you got to put it down to. I mean, I know... You're giving De Bruyne an opportunity outside the box. He's going to bury it from 25 yards. He just does. He does it week in, week out, as we know. So, and and let, let's to be to be fair to Wales, um, they've they've not been beaten in 11 games until t- this particular game. But Belgium are the best team in Europe. So it is what it is, and most probably they're not the ones we've got to worry about. It's the ones around us, you know, in the, in the other spots. So um, yeah, look, I think there's still plenty to play out and. Uh, Wales have got a very big game on Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I don't think that was the game Wales were going to have to win away in Belgium. Um, France stumbled against Ukraine 1-1. Turkey stunned the Netherlands 4-2. Ireland lost 3-2 to Serbia, but at least scored some goals. That's been a big problem for them recently. We spoke to Martin Tyler about England, and of course they've got some pretty straightforward games coming up, and we'll talk all about them next week, Dino. Um, Just looking uh, around Europe before we hand back to uh, to Rob, um, Rangers and Celtic drew one all, so Rangers are still on the way to that unbeaten season, which would emulate Celtic's unbeaten season from uh, a few a few uh, years ago now. Um, interesting one for you, Rob, is that Real Madrid will be playing at home against Liverpool in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. Could be, could you know at least balance that tie up a little bit in terms of them. And uh, Seth Blatter, I notice, has been given an extra six years and yes, eight month we, we, ban. We mentioned um, that, in the, meaning you know, he'll be probably years. like ninety-five or something by the time he'll be back to uh, the, the, the the chairmanship <laughs> of FIFA. That's right. He'll be ninety-five when he yeah. returns. <laughs> when, he ret- <laughs> when he returns to take everyone on. So um, yeah, that's about it, Rob. I did All flag right. it with the, with the boys during the week that uh, Sevilla scored an injury time equaliser with a goalkeeper called Bono. So I just love that. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, well done, boys. Okay, we'll stay where you, right where you are. Don't go anywhere. We're just going to take a little break and we're going to come back with stoppage time. And anyone who hasn't seen the Mavericks uh, documentaries, they needs to do it because we're going to talk Mavericks after the break in stoppage time on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial. Yes, this is Box the Box. What a great show it's been so far. Wonderful chat with Martin Tyler earlier on. We are going to wrap it up with. Uh, with a little chat around football mavericks uh, to honour the passing of Frank Worthington in this past week. But uh, just before we do, I want to talk about our mates at Storage King. They are the uh, opposite of Mavericks. They may have been the Mavericks of storage when they first started out, but now they are the kings of storage moving and more. So if your home is running out of space, you need to call Storage King. Whether you're decluttering, moving, renovating, downsizing, whatever it is you're doing, if you're creating a home office, call Storage King. They do have the answer. They've got stores everywhere. They've got storage professionals who really know all about it. Storageking.com.au for your nearest store. And let Storage King give you back some space and make sure to watch Space Invaders on Saturday nights. Storage King, it's a great declutter show. If Frank Worthington lived in Australia, he would have definitely had Storage King uh, because I'll tell you why, and I've got Dino that I want to uh, wind into this, but Frank Worthington played in 22 consecutive football league seasons from 1966. He scored 266 goals. Now, before you go on, Edge, we, when we uh, talked on, about now, this look- subject, uh, um, we all nominated um, an individual maverick who we are going to talk about, and I said I was going to talk about Frank Worthington, and I somehow think that you're about to steal all of my thunder no, no, by no. going through his entire Wikipedia entry. No, no, no. I'm just going back to the Storage King ad in a moment. But um, the, before I was rudely interrupted by uh, Roberto um, Mancini over here, um, Frank Worthington, 882 matches. That sticks in my head because he, he, he would have had um, a serious shitload of old footy boots to store in the Storage King locker, Dino. I mean, 882. What is it about these guys from that generation that just were able to play for so long? You can't say necessarily that they would have looked after themselves because I think it was a quite a big drinking culture in those days and smoking. Um, so, But I think it was just the way the game was then. It was a bit different. I mean, it's nowhere near the speed of today's football and, and that's so, so that area. I'm going to jump in because we, we, we don't have a, an abundance of time to wrap this thing up. Who, who is a, a maverick that, that just stands out in your mind as a, a player who, you know, he might not have done everything he, he, he was capable of doing in the game, but you just loved watching him when he was playing. I'm definitely going to choose uh, George Best. I mean, my dad played against him. They were quite good mates and spent a lot of time with each other over the journey and and what was and that I famous think, line know, about George when when um, when one of his old schoolmates was working in a hotel in Las Vegas and he knocked on uh, the door to deliver the room service and George yeah, was in there yeah. with a with a Miss Universe? He was. And, um, and so he basically, knocked, he, he knocked on the door. Didn't he? Yeah, you tell it. You tell it. Yeah. yeah, you want me to tell it? Yeah. So basically, knock on the door. George had ordered. He's got Miss World with him next to him. Uh, ordered the, the best champagne money could buy. And the door, little door, knock on the door. Little Irish waiter comes in. And uh, says, uh, Mr. Best, here's the champagne. And when he looked there, she was in a negligee lying down on the bed. And there was 10,000 um, US dollars spread on the, be- on the bed. And he just unpops the cork and pours a glass for uh, Miss World and obviously for George. And then as he walks the, the little waiter back out the door, uh, the waiter says, George, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a great story. There's another one of my favourites. I think is that George. I'm just going to mangle the line a bit, but he said, "I spent um, I spent most of my money on 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 fast cars and champagne, and the, the rest I wasted." So yeah, well done, <laughs> you know, George Best, uh, Derek. Um, who, who are you going to nominate? 
Oh, I'm going to nominate uh, quickly three Arsenal ones, or two of which I watched. The ultimate maverick was Charlie George. There's an Australian collection there, as we've spoken about, but certainly a, a player who graced the pitch, maybe didn't reach the heights of England, but knew how to take a shot and certainly enjoyed his time on and off the pitch. Uh, Paul Merson, when I started watching Arsenal, um, very much that last era before Wenger, where there was the Tuesday night, pub club merson had some terrible issues with gambling drugs and alcohol and turned it around but he was a player on his day and the most recent one of course is uh, meza Urzil. and i think this is the most poignant because there aren't that many places for mavericks in football anymore they're not wanted by the likes of the modern football manager who prefer dependability uh, over over eccentricity so yeah they're my three I've got an Australian one to throw in the mix there, and it's Craig Johnston because he he, he did say once that playing football for Australia was like like surf um, being um, selected to surf for England. So um, as much as he didn't want to play football for Australia, we all claimed him, didn't we, Dino? And we love to see him go around for Liverpool. He was, in my view, he was an Australian football maverick. Yeah, and uh, look, just to wrap it up and bring it home with uh, with Frank Worthington. Did you have a name, Willem, that you're sitting there just quietly that you wanted well, to Well, just quietly. There? The only time you hear of Craig Johnson these days is he pops up every now and then thinking that we should have a big bash of soccer. He does hey, too. Not a bad idea. That's how the A-League needs a turbocharge. He, he, he is a, an entrepreneur. He's from had a, some success in the From past. a managerial point of view for Maverick, I'd like to throw up Miron Blyberg. Yeah, Miron <laughs> Blyberg, yeah. He, he, he makes you laugh. A little bit different, but yeah, greatly mm. loved. Yeah, yeah. Well, Miron, um, Maverick. Football manager. Okay, so yeah, Frank Worthington. So, like most people who, who listen to this show will have uh, have read the articles and the obituaries about Frank. But uh, but it's just a, a great story um, to to look at on on those uh, documentaries that I mentioned that are on Daily Motion. Just type it in Football Mavericks. It's a three part series, and uh, unfortunately, like for all of the success Sir Alf Ramsey had with England winning the nineteen sixty six World Cup, he doesn't come out looking great in that because there are a whole range of different players uh, that the like of uh, of um, of uh, Worthington who who just didn't get to play because they didn't fit his criteria and uh, and when you're driving a red Mustang and you d- turn up at training dressed as Elvis uh, as Frank was one known to do you, you're probably not going to be quite the straight shooter that, that, that Sir Alf was looking for all right boys well done um, great show to, uh, any show that uh, has a Martin Tyler on it, it is a great show and and this was uh, a lot of fun talk to Sam Lewis off the top lots happening with performance football and uh, of course James Meredith Dino thank you. Thank you. Well done. Derek, thank you, mate. Uh, very good, boys. That was good. Great work, Willem. Thank you, gents. Very good. Michael, busy week ahead. Yes, busy week ahead. Go the Victory Girls. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, well done, Roberto. Thank you, mate. And, of course, Damien Tardio sitting here making sure we all sound as good as we possibly can and uh, you know, putting a little Band-Aid over some of our poor efforts from time to time so you don't have to listen to them, do you? Well, join us. <laughs> Well, next week, we really hope you do. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this show and we hope you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.